Ramsey on the house. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988 for Saturday a month. So we have Farmer Greg joining us. And if you're following along in our annual homeowner handbook, you know that today we have plant your fruit tagged as our topic. And this is a topic we've covered before, but man, I never get tired of it, Farmer Greg. Uh-huh. Well, in the script I wrote today is mostly new, so I love it. Well, I, I can't yeah. wait to learn what there is new to learn. And you know, one of the things I love about the an orchard is you get maximum yield, but it doesn't require daily labor. You know, you can. There's times where there's a lot of labor-intensive things when we're thinning for fruit production, or we're trying to get all the peaches off before the birds get them because your ripening window is so low or you got to go out and weed. But day in and day out, you know, if you've got an automatic watering system, you know, just a visual inspection walking by is about all it takes. Exactly. Exactly. There, That's the biggest reason I love planting fruit trees is because you plant them once. They don't take a lot of maintenance and you get fruit for decades or maybe even a hundred years. I had a citrus tree in the backyard at the urban farm when I lived there in central Phoenix that was planted in the 1920s. And when we sold the house in 2022, it was still making fruit. That makes it over a hundred years old. <laughs> so, so it, it produces a long, long time. You can't say that about broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I've said this for years that, um, the only place that this notion of lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look at the fruit coming off of our fruit trees, that's just like massively amazing. You know, there's an apple tree in the backyard at the urban farm. We used to get 250 pounds of apples off of it every year. Now, you know, that's a different game when you're playing at that level, because you have to know what to do with 250 pounds of apples. Uh, but you know, the, the, productivity of them is just amazing. And what to do with 250 pounds of apples also depends on what type of apple variety you have. Well, there there is some truth there. And there are two varieties that are reliable in the low desert. And these are the only two that we carry, although we have a new experimental one coming down the pike. Um, but the Anna and the Dorset Golden Apple are reliable and heavy producers and they produce in June. And you're going to find out why that's important here in a little while. Both varieties produce in June? Yeah, both varieties produce in June. Okay. Now, that's specifically apple. I mean, there's your list of fruit trees to plant here is, you know, that that's just starting with A here. We got a lot more yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, there's apples. Apricots, figs, peaches, plums, jujubes, mulberries, olives, grapes, berries, pomegranates. And the, when I say that there's very limited varieties, you know, Johnny Appleseed was a guy. He actually, you know, he was a real person and he was going around planting apple seeds everywhere. And that is in big part why we have such a huge variety of apples that grow in the United States. There are over... I don't know, 4,000 different varieties of apples 
and two of them will grow consistently and reliably in the desert. So we have to make sure that when you're picking your fruit trees, whether they're apples, apricots, figs, peaches, plums, jujubes, mulberries, that they're the variety that will actually produce in the low desert. Because there are apples that if you plant an apple tree in the desert and it's the wrong kind, you will never get fruit. Well, if we've got over 4,000 varieties in America and only two varieties go here, you know, your chances of getting something that's not going to grow here is a lot higher <laughs> if you're not paying attention. Exactly. And like I said, we're going to talk about that more in a little while. So the first thing you really need to know is uh, how do you define success on a fruit tree? Because I had a Asian pear in my front yard, and you notice that pears aren't on the list. I had an Asian pear in my front yard, and I worked on that tree for two decades almost. It would reliably give me five to ten fruit a year. You have to decide whether that's worth it for you. <laughs> and so I call that a no, forget about it. That's not a variety that I want to bring in. Plus, pears are highly susceptible to something called fire blight. Looks like somebody took a blowtorch on them. So defining on success the for a fruit tree. Go ahead. The, the, the blowtorch to the leaves. Yes. It just looks like somebody went through and took a blowtorch on it, and then it, you know, it doesn't produce, it dies. So you really have to define what success for you is. If I was going to plant a pear, you'd have to know that if you got five or 10 pounds of fruit, you'd be lucky in any given year. And that's not my idea of a successful fruit tree. I want to plant a fruit tree like a desert gold peach and get hundreds of peaches up off of it every year. Well, and so you're right now, this is all fruit production, and that's important because that's what we're talking about. But um, what what does a plum look like? Because my peach trees, uh, you know, there's other places I would plant them just because of, uh, you know, they're deciduous. So there's areas that I don't want that I like them having no leaves in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. But I love the bloom and the color yeah. and the leaf structure. So... I might have a couple other places I would plant a peach tree out of the orchard, not expecting a big production, but it's still a win because it's shade and it's, uh, you know, serves a function over here. So there exactly. could be more than just fruit production for success. So, I mean, so my question was, how, how pretty was that pear tree? Yeah, they're, they, they have white flowers. You know, they, they look nice. Um, I am, you know, in our new orchard here, uh, I have four acres, so I have a lot more room to experiment and play. When I was in Phoenix, I had uh, a lot 80 by 160. That's essentially 13,000 square feet or so. And so I had to be really picky. And I was only interested when I was growing in Phoenix in growing food that you, things you could eat. Strictly food. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, defining success of a fruit tree is... Yeah, it needs to give me dozens to 100 pounds of fruit on it every year. And that's why we, so we run the fruit tree education program at Urban Farm, and then people can get fruit trees from us. And the fruit trees that you get from us are very specific to the low desert. They will, if you do what we tell you to do, you will get fruit. So, and we'll talk about that in a little while, about what, what the rules are around that. And then, of course, citrus. 
uh, you know, one of the five C's of citrus of uh, Arizona is citrus and citrus grows incredibly well in the low desert. So, you know, pick your variety and go for it. And we have, and that could be, we have done, and it can be its, its own entire hours <laughs> of broadcasting covering all the different types of citrus. And you can, you know, just like fruit trees, uh, for the most part, if you select the right varieties, you can end up with both fruits and citrus almost year-round, citrus more yeah. over than, than your fruits. I worked really hard on that for about 20 years at the urban farm, and I was able to get fruit from late fall, like October, to beginning of July. And there was a window, basically July, August, September, that it just was just <laughs> too hot. It was just too hot. So, but, you know, in the meantime, you, you get nine months a year, you get fruit. That's not bad. Yeah, and that's, like that's you were sure. saying, you get the varieties that produce a lot enough and you can can dehydrate a lot of different ways to preserve it. So you can still, uh, done correctly, have produce year round uh, if you properly save and store the excess of, of your exactly. harvest. Exactly. Get yourself a dehydrator and dehydrate those apples. And so there's there's a few trees that people ask religiously, hey, I want to grow avocados. I know of no producing avocado trees in the desert, and every single one of them I've ever seen has has died. Now, I keep asking. I keep looking. I'm interested if somebody's got them. I'd be really interested in seeing one. Uh, but for the most part, they die. Persimmons... Uh, are pretty much a no-go because they're a soft flesh fruit that ripens in the fall. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, cherries are a no-go. Uh, wrong rootstock. Every single cherry I've ever planted has died because of the rootstock. And this is the pit cherries, not the... There's some other cherry, tropical cherry bushes that aren't true cherries that'll do well, but the pit cherries don't do well. And then um, nectarines. If people want to grow nectarines, I just tell them to grow peaches. Uh, nectarines are affected by something called a thrip. A thrip is a bug that comes up out of the soil and sucks on the fruit and, uh, you know, pretty much destroys the fruit. So, And those ones are pretty hard to get rid of once you have them too, aren't they? Yeah, thrips are a challenge when you get, get them. Uh, heavily, if you have them, heavily mulch underneath them or just don't plant a nectarine, plant a peach. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and I started my fruit tree education program in uh, 1999. And one of the big reasons I started educating about fruit trees was because I found out you can go into every big box store and most local nurseries and they would sell you a fruit tree that would never make fruit. And to this day, you know, I see when I'm out and about in Phoenix, I see trees that it's, I just shake my head. It's like, it's never going to work here. You know, if you, if you see a cherry or an avocado, walk away. It's just, you know, futile. I have three rules around, around fruit trees in the desert. Okay. And There's a lot we can do here, but we can't stop the clock. That's where we'll pick up this conversation right after this with Farmer Greg. Continuing our conversation with Farmer Greg, and, you know, uh, before we get any further, you know, we're two days away from Christmas, man. Merry Christmas. No, right back at you, man. 
seemed like it was just Halloween and just the 4th of July, man. The joke around here is it's Thursday again. Thir yeah. <laughs> the days just fly by. I don't uh, know whether it's because I'm getting older or what, but. Do you have a, a fruit tree you decorate as a Christmas tree at all? Make it look like the Snoopy tree because all the leaves are off? <laughs> <laughs> right. I've done that before. Not this year, but I have done that before. Uh, well, as we were going to break, you were mentioning three rules for success in yeah. the desert fruit tree program. So, and this is no matter where you get fruit trees and no matter where you are, you need to know this. If you're in Flagstaff or Tucson or Patagonia, Arizona, if it, these are the three things that you really need to know. First is low chill. Fruit trees, deciduous fruit trees, citrus trees are different, but deciduous fruit trees, those are the kind of fruit trees that lose their leaves in the winter. They require a certain amount of cold chill in order to set fruit. And for low desert trees, we need low chill trees. A low chill tree is anything under about 350 hours of chill. Chill is anything under about 38 degrees. So if you're at a nursery and you see an apple tree and the tag says it requires 600 hours of chill, keep on walking because it's not going to work in the low desert. So that's the number one thing. You need a low chill fruit tree. Second thing you need to know is you need to make sure that it's on the correct rootstock. So what happens a lot of times with the big box stores is they call up a fruit tree grower and they'll say, hey, I want... 2,000 Santa Rosa plums on XYZ rootstock. XYZ rootstock might do great in Seattle, but it doesn't do great in Phoenix, Arizona. But those trees still get shipped here. So if you plant it on the wrong rootstock in the low desert, it's likely it's not going to make it. And then the third thing, and we talked about persimmons a minute ago, the third thing is, is that for the soft flesh fruit, so that's all the stone fruit and apples and berries and grapes and like that. They need to be harvested and off of the tree by about July 1st. Otherwise, they just cook on the tree. That's the big reason that apple trees don't that ripen in the fall don't do really well in the low desert. Because those the fruit has to sit on the tree throughout July, August, September, and... Uh, in fact, I was just on a garden consult with a guy the other day, and he was telling me about this apple tree that he loved, but the apples never got bigger than about a golf ball. And he wondered why. And I so I inquired about the variety. He didn't know what the variety was. I said, when does it ripen? He said, well, I think in like October. So th those are the kind <laughs> of results that we get um, with um, varieties that aren't supposed to be planted in the low desert. And again, go ahead. Well, and you know, you had mentioned earlier why there's only two variety of apples that do well here. You know, those are the reasons. Yep, exactly. Those are exactly the reasons. There's two kinds of apricots, the Katie and the Gold Kiss. There's about a, about 10 peaches that do really well, including the Desert Gold Tropic Snow and Mid Pride. And there's about four or five plums, about three or four grapes and berries and that kind of stuff. But it's just, you have to get the fruit off of the tree 
before it gets hot or it just it, it ruins the fruit. And there's all kinds of different things you can do with the fruit. You know, the Golden Door said, I personally to taste, I like those better than the Anna. But the Annas, ah. uh, the horses love them. We always make our pump, our apple pies for 4th of July out of the Annas. Uh, yep. So there's, you know, there, there's no shortage of things you can produce with them. Uh, you just, it takes a little time to figure it out and play with it and find what you like. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, so... Apple butter, apple cider, um, apple sauce, apple chips. And when I was in, I went on a trip in June of 2014. And while I was gone, I was gone for three weeks. I got an email from somebody and they said, hey, we want to pick some of your apples and make some apple wine out of it. <laughs> and so I said, knock yourself out. They went and harvested a lot of fruit off of my apple tree in 2014 and in the in the winter of 2014, I got six bottles of apple wine, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. So you had more than one glass, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is the holidays, of course. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, hence all the reasons why you should grow your own fruit. I, I'm a big proponent of growing your own because the fruit that you get tastes better. And in big part, it tastes better because you're picking it at its peak of ripeness. Most of the fruit that we get in the grocery stores has been picked before it's ever ripe. So it doesn't and have an opportunity to spoil develop before. fully. Yeah, because if they picked it at its peak ripeness and they're shipping it a couple thousand miles, well, half of it would be you know, spoiled and no good for to sell by the time. So it's exactly lo localize your food source. That's the theme of, of our outdoor living hour. <laughs> well, that's what I talk about every day, all day. You know, it's like we need a local food systems and, you know, planting a fruit tree will give you hundreds of pounds of fruit for decades. And by far, in my experience, the most amount of output of production for the least amount of human input on planting, maintaining, and uh, manicuring, I, I guess for lack of yeah, a better word. managing, exactly. There you go. All right. We got Farmer Greg joining us to talk about uh, his special planting soil mix for when we finally get those fruit trees into and ready to put into the ground right after this. Just joining us after bottom of the hour news break. It is the fourth Saturday of the month here at Rosie on the House, just a couple days before Christmas. Farmer Greg is joining us as he does the fourth Saturday of the month. And if you're following along in our homeowner handbook, you know we're talking about plant your fruit trees. Now is a great time to do it. And I kind of jumped ahead. I said we were going to go straight to soil mix, but I, I jumped a couple talking points ahead. Uh, so Farmer Greg's going to back me up here a little bit and go through a couple other. <laughs> selection items you have to know before you start digging. Yeah, so I just want to distinguish one thing real quick. It's and it's potted versus bare root. Bare root trees, uh, they come with no dirt around their roots. And we get deciduous bare root trees into our program. And uh, and how that works is the fruit tree is dormant. And we're bringing in those fruit trees when they're dormant and you're coming and getting them from us picking them up, taking them home when they're dormant and you stick them in the ground. So they break dormancy at, 
in the place that they're going to spend the rest of their life. So that's that's the big reason why we like using doing bare root trees. And if you've never done it before, the first time you do it, you can feel like you're getting pranked. Like I just bought a stick. I'm going home and I'm putting a stick in the ground. What? I just got punked. But sure enough, a couple months later, all those little buds start coming uh, out. Yeah. Well, and it's it's the trees that we bring in are much bigger than a stick. They're, you know, they're pretty good sized trees. And that, that really brings me to my next thing I want to talk about. And that's when you're looking at a fruit tree, where's the value in the fruit tree? And the value isn't in how tall it is. You could have what they call a whip, which is a, you know, a pencil sized tree that's six feet tall. And you could have a um, smaller tree in a pot next to it with a bigger trunk on it. And people have a tendency to go for the big, bigger, taller trees when that's not really the value. The value is in the diameter of the trunk at the base of the tree. And, and why is that? What is it? Why is that? Why is that? Because uh, the the ones that are, say, a quarter inch, quarter inch whips. In fact, the Asian pear that I mentioned earlier, uh, I had purchased online and I brought it in in probably 1990, 1991. And it came in the size of a pencil. And it was about 18 inches tall. And that is a first year tree. A second year tree for the deciduous trees, a second year tree will be two-thirds, uh, th no, maybe up to a half inch. And a third-year tree is going to be half inch to an inch diameter. And what you're really looking for when you're buying fruit trees is that trunk diameter. Because one of the things that can happen is they'll, they'll take a whip tree, you know, a quarter-inch tree, and they'll put it in a 15-gallon pot, and then they'll call it a 15-gallon tree and sell it to you at a 15-gallon price. So... When you're looking at a fruit tree, you're really looking at the diameter of the trunk. That gives you an, a determination of how old that tree is and how well it's going to do when you transplant it. And just about every type of fruit tree, citrus tree, whatever, it takes a couple years of maturity before it starts producing. Yeah. So you're looking I for a, a thicker trunk indicates it's an older tree, so you may only be a year away from producer, maybe even this year, if you're lucky. Well, yes, to a certain extent. Uh, when you transplant a tree, you disrupt it a little bit. And what we tell people is that first year is about growing roots. Second year is about growing shoots or the branches. And third year is about growing the fruit trees and or growing the fruit. So I tell people. I like that. Root shoots fruits. Right? I tell people it's going to be three years before you get fruit. Now, if you follow our directions explicitly, which is what I'm going to talk about next, if you follow our directions explicitly, you will likely get fruit in the second year. And when I say second year, if you plant it in January, the following January, it's, it may very well be setting fruit so that by May you actually have fruit Okay. in the second season. So planting i tell people all the time you're going to spend as at least as much on supplements and soil products as you are on the tree 
for our initial planting. If you want to guarantee success. For your initial planting. For your initial planting, exactly. And then there's ongoing fertilizing that you want to do. Here's what we suggest people do for planting. You dig a square hole. That's a two foot by two foot square, a foot deep. If we're doing bare root. If we're doing bare root, or if you're doing citrus as well. You want to only go about a foot deep. And obviously, if you're buying bigger trees and they're beyond 15 gallon, you know, you're going to have to dig deeper for that. But Exactly. Dig. Exactly. But for a 15 gallon size tree, whether it's bare root or potted, if about you go a foot, a foot deep, okay. you're going to be in great shape. So then you take 40% of the dirt from the hole, you put it in a wheelbarrow. And then you're going to add 60% some kind of planting mix. Because what the desert soils are really lacking in organic matter. So we want to add 60% planting mix. We have our Farmer Greg's planting mix. Uh, and you mix all that up in the wheelbarrow. And then on top of that, you're going to add two ounces of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza is soil life. It's soil microorganisms that help the trees grow. You're going to add two pounds of worm castings. That's got nutrition in it, and it's got soil life in it. And you're going to add two pounds of azomite, which is a micronutrient vitamin pill for your tree. And you're going to add two pounds of organic fertilizer to the wheelbarrow. And you're going to mix all of that up. You're going to plant the tree in the middle of your, your square hole. And you're going to plant it about four inches above grade. So it kind of sits up on a hill in the middle. And then you're going to add six to eight inches of woody mulch all the way around the basin. That's what I call my 6-6 six, six rule. And what we've just done is we've created an environment where we give nutrition and organic matter in the hole so that the tree can actually thrive. If you were to dig a hole and stick any tree just in the dirt, it's likely not going to make it. Or ever produce anything for you. It might hang on a little bit, but it's right. not going to ever have your fruit production that you planted it for. Yeah. We've got a huge list of varieties here, but there's only so many control boxes on the irrigation. How can you pair a lot of these varieties to different irrigation timers the same or stations? You know, if I've got 12 stations, but you've also mm -hmm. got 12 different varieties, not even including the citrus uh, fruit trees, how many of those can I pair apricots and apples on the same irrigation station? Yes. Absolutely. All the fruit trees get watered the same. And I discovered this. I planted my first fruit trees in 1974 near 24th Street and Indian School. That's where I grew up at, right in the middle of Phoenix. In the middle 1970s, I was planting fruit trees in my backyard. And we got flood irrigation back then at, on that property. And that meant we got watered once a month in the winter and twice a month in the warm season. You know, that was like April through uh, October. We get water twice a month. And the trees thrived. So when I went looking for to buy my house in 1989, I was looking for flood irrigation because I knew that worked. 
So when I tell people once a month in the winter and twice a month in the medium and warm season, it kind of freaks them out a little bit. But what we're needing to do is we're needing to fill that basin with water, give it a good deep water. If you're putting one drip emitter on your fruit trees, good luck with that. Likely not going to make it because we need to get that entire six foot diameter basin, the water percolating down into it and soaking it. And that woody mulch that I mentioned earlier works like a great big sponge. It builds healthy soil. So whatever zone you put it on, you just need to make sure that you're running that zone long enough that the basin fills with water. Makes sense. So you could yeah. do that on a drip emitter. If you got enough emitters, you could do it on a bubbler. Just whatever the case is, make sure the basin, it can fill the basin. Yeah, exactly. Now, if we have something that we sell that's called a drip circle, it's got 20 half gallon per hour drip emitters on it. And it's it's a big circle. It's about a four foot diameter circle. And you put that in the basin. You're If you run that for eight hours, you're not going to see water build up in the basin. It's not going to flood the basin like with flood irrigation, but it'll percolate down. And we have a couple of tools available. One's called a soil probe and one's called a moisture meter. And I highly suggest that you get one or both of them to help you do your watering of your fruit trees, especially with our extreme heat that we've got going on the past couple of summers. And those drip emitters are great at getting that water down deep. It's just slow release. You don't have a lot of evaporation off the top. And those moisture meters and soil probes let you know how many hours you need to run it based on how far down inch-wise you're trying to get into the soil. Exactly. Exactly. And the nice thing about that, it doesn't change much over the course of years, if ever. So once you have it figured out, you're good to go. There you go. You're absolutely good to go. Exactly. Now, it'll change based on different locations. You know, you might have different soils on one side of the property than the other. So if you've got this apple tree figured out, don't assume it works for the apple tree 100 feet away. You know, right. each, each, once you figure each tree out in its soil condition, then it doesn't really change. So just make sure you're you don't try and have a universal label across different types of soils. So when you're planting your fruit trees, you want to be conscious of where you're planting them. If you're planting them in your backyard or front yard and it's all gravel and there's block walls, that's what we call a very hot microclimate. And you're going to have to do more prep to prep those trees. So they're going to succeed. Um, my, I have a rule called my 6-6 six, six rule, six-foot diameter basin with six inches of woody mulch. So you, you know, you push back the gravel and that becomes your woody mulch basin. That's going to help cool the space. We also, with our fruit tree program, give away free cow peas. And a cow pea is a heat-loving bean that grows wild in your yard. And we suggest that people plant them underneath their fruit trees and they shade the ground underneath the fruit trees and they will keep the ground underneath your trees 50 degrees cooler in the summertime. That's the difference between your fruit trees making it and them not. That's a great one. Cow peas come with your yeah. each tree. So we've got uh, one final segment with Farmer Greg right after this. Mm-hmm. 
We've been talking plant your fruit with Farmer Greg and a lot of great information that is available here to you. Grab this podcast after it's over as well if you needed to listen back. Uh, and there's also additional links and resources on the podcast page at rosieonthehouse.com. But Farmer Greg, you had a, a final point to wrap up on watering. Uh, you wanted to hit fertilizing. And then we've got uh, a, a new portal we got to uh, talk about that y'all are starting. So uh, yeah. we got a few minutes left here to wrap us up. Take us home. So caveat with watering your fruit trees. An overwatered fruit tree and an underwatered fruit tree, the damage looks the same and they'll both die. So if you're watering them once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer, and, uh, you know, summer starts, the warm season starts in mid-April to end of April, so you're watering them every other week, and it gets to June 10th, and you take, you're paying attention to your trees, and your tree's a little bit droopy, you know it needs water. Now, if you're following all of our strategies with the mulch basin and that kind of stuff, that would only happen the first year. Once the trees are established, you should be good to go on that watering schedule. Uh, but what happens is, is somebody will, you know, water a tree and it starts drooping. They think, oh my gosh, it needs more water. And it starts drooping, they get more water and it droops a little more and it gets more water and it droops a little more and before long, the tree's dead. That, Once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer, with that caveat, it will give you success in growing your fruit trees. Okay. And you also have to feed your fruit trees a little bit, too. Yeah, a bit more than a little bit. Um, what people don't understand is that our, our trees and plants need to eat every day. We don't need to feed them every day, but they need to eat every day. And if you're feeding your trees once or twice a year, it's not enough. And we suggest, we already suggested earlier that you put two pounds of organic fertilizer in the planting hole. Our granular fertilizing schedule, we suggest Valentine's Day, Tax Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day. And you want to give the tree two and a half pounds of fertilizer per inch diameter of trunk. So if you've got a two inch diameter trunk, each time you're gonna give it five pounds and you're gonna spread that evenly in the basin. If you have your woody mulch basin in place, you take a shovel and you put the shovel down about eight, 10 inches, move the shovel back and forth, pour the fertilizer in your, in your shovel holes and cover it back up. That way you get the fertilizer past the woody mulch. And do you put all five pounds in one hole or do you do this a couple areas around the tree? I usually put it four or five places around okay. the tree. And then we have something called foliar feeding. And we all know that it's been insanely hot the past few summers in Arizona, and we've lost a lot of fruit trees. We've lost a lot of trees. We were I was watching saguaro cacti falling over this past summer. It was so hot. And one of the things that we discovered about five years ago was this notion of foliar feeding and how it strengthens the trees immensely. Foliar feeding is you're putting a liquid fertilizer in a pump sprayer and you're spraying it directly on the leaves and the branches of the tree. And we have seen amazing success with foliar fertilizing uh, your trees. And I actually have been doing it about once a month here in Asheville 
And we suggest a minimum of once a month, twice a month is better through the growing season. You would still need to do that in addition to your granular root feeding. Exactly. So we're feeding it through the trunks and stems and leaves, and we're feeding it in the ground. And the foliar feeding, though, I mean, a little goes a long way. I mean, it, you're, you're mixing an ounce to gallons, and it, exactly. it's not an expensive proposition. Right. Well, the the foliar feeds, they can get a little pricey, like you said, but again, you're only using an ounce. So a 32-ounce bottle is 32 doses, 32 gallons, and so it does go a long way. And you know where that goes after you've started applying it and you go through a, a harvest season. Exactly. Because it makes the fruit more resilient through the summer and it, it does make the fruit tastier. I, I had this experience a few years back. I handed a friend of mine some Caracara navels from my front yard and she took them home and called me back 15 minutes later and said, what are these? I said, they're Caracara navels. And she said, but they don't taste like what comes in the grocery store. I said, of course not. First of all, they're picked at the height of ripeness. And secondly, they're getting fed regularly. And to make it a another you know feather in your hat on that one is y'all the brand y'all like was developed by a couple of ASU grads and it's here locally. So it's not like yep. we're shipping in fertilizer from overseas. It's something created here locally as well. But we've got just under a minute left. Why don't you... Um, Tell, tell me about this Root Tree Camp and then your guests next month. All right. So Root Camp is a program that Janice and I created. It is all of our lessons in one place on how to pick your fruit trees, how to grow your fruit trees. And the cool thing is it's free. If you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp, you can sign up there for free and learn all about growing fruit trees in the desert. And I've been growing fruit trees since the 1970s. So this is the culmination of all my experience. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash root camp. And then for Saturday in January, you'll be in studio with us talking guilds and fruit trees. And you're bringing along a special guest. I am Kristen Parsons. She's a local orchardist and has a really cool uh, freeze drying, fruit freeze drying business in town. And she's going to talk about how guilds work. Guild is a beneficial collection of plants that you plant together. So it, you can plant herbs and berries and fruit trees and all kinds of stuff in these very interesting collections. It's, uh, it's fascinating. We'll look forward to that in January. Farmer Greg, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, sir.